Good morning. I'm glad you guys are here this morning. Um, I think spring is coming, hopefully, maybe, potentially. I saw rain yesterday. I thought it was snow, but then my kids told me it was rain. My name is John Mueller. I'm the lead pastor here at Sunlight. I'm excited you're here this morning. This is the second week of our ministry partner series, which as you can see from the kid up there, I made a comment last week about the garbage bag cape that he has because kids can make a cape out of anything. This week I found that out because my son tried to make a cape out of a teddy bear, but that's a whole nother story. You can make a cape out of anything. So I just love that picture because the glasses still, I can't get over the glasses. So I'd like to welcome you this morning because this series, you're in the second week of the series. So if you weren't able to attend last week, or maybe this is your first time here with us, we're in the middle of a series about ministry partnerships. Ministry is not just about being alone on an island. It's about partnering together for the sake of the mission of the Church of Jesus Christ. And so as we go through this series, these are little sections of what it means to be a ministry partner here at Sunlight Community Church. So if you'd like to follow along this morning, you can go to Version. It's the Bible app on your phone or iPad if you want notes, and you click on the right-hand side, and then you click Events, and you're able to pull up our notes and some announcements and things like that inside Version. Today, we're going to be in the book of Philemon. Okay, how many people here can find Philemon by just opening their Bible? That's probably really hard because it's one page, okay? So it's right before Hebrews in your New Testament. So I know this is like literally the hardest book to find because it's the shortest book. In some Bibles, it's like half a page because of the font. So we're going to be in Philemon today, and we're going to hear the story of Paul, Onesimus, and Philemon and what it means to have a changed life. And so I'm excited about that this morning, but first we need to go to the Lord in prayer as we go through this passage. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we, we know that sometimes partnerships require sacrifice. We know that, that when we look in the church, God has called us to be humble. God has called us to be, to be people that are in the word, that are praying to you, that have a relationship with you. Lord, we ask this morning as we read your word that you would show us what personal sacrifices we need to make for the sake of Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you that we're here this morning and able to worship together and gather together for the sake of your kingdom, for your church, because we are the church. God, we give you glory, and, and we, we want to hear more stories like Onesimus's today of changed lives in our community. We ask that you would do that over the coming weeks, the coming months, the coming years. God, give us opportunity to claim, to claim nothing and let you claim everything because you receive the glory for a changed life. We say all this in Jesus' name, amen. So today I'm going to talk about what it means to be a partner in the gospel. And so I'm going to ask you a question and start thinking after I ask this question. Why do partnerships work or not work? That's the question. What, why do partnerships work or not work? Marriages, sports teams, business partnerships. And many times you go into a partnership with, with you expectations. You think, this is what I expect from the partner I have. And so are there times in marriage where one person is carrying more of the weight in the marriage? 
If you've been married longer than three days, yes. If you're off your honeymoon, yes. That is a fact. Are there times where one player on the sports team is holding the team together? Yes. Since some really bad teams have one good player. But they play together well. Are there businesses that are unevenly split between partners? Yes, there are. So it's not so much as, as there has to be a reason in each partnership. There has to be a reason in each partnership that supersedes everything else. So to partner, you have to have the same goal. The same goal for business partnerships is usually the sake of profit. If any of you are in a business partnership that's failing then you don't have the main goal of most partnerships. You have a different goal. Sometimes it's a nonprofit, potentially. But the sake of part, if you talk to most people that are partner in business, it's, I want to make money, right? Because otherwise I, need, I can't put food on the table. The second thing is professional sports. I almost promised I wouldn't mention this. Look at the Lakers, okay? If you follow sports, they're not doing very well, but they've got all these stars on their team. How does that work? Well, because sometimes uh, sports partnerships are out to win at all costs. Like, let's get the five best players. They don't work together, but let's get the five best players. They have a bad partnership because they have to work together for that goal. They can't work individually for that goal. In partnership, you're working with others. And so marriages, marriages have ebbs and flows. Who's putting more effort into the marriage? And if the focus is on God, the partnership can encounter any storm of life and succeed. So that leaves me with the reason for ministry partnership. Why does it work and allow us to thrive as individuals but as a church? And that, that is because the center, the core of a ministry partnership is Jesus Christ. There's nothing else that can be the foundation of that. In the New Testament, we see over and over the reason people partner together in ministry is Jesus. It has nothing to do with any other thing. But it's not easy, because we're going to see that today. Things can get really complicated with relationships, with partnerships. I mean, I've met people that had a business partnership, and essentially the downfall of the partnership was also the downfall of the relationship, and they were friends no more, or family members. And some of you may have family members that you don't really like talking to because there was a partnership that fell through. And so it's messy, but Paul here in Philemon is writing a letter to Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. You probably will not forget the name Onesimus after today because that's a great name. But I've had to say it about 10 times this week to make sure I say it right. So Onesimus ran away from a debt. He sold himself into slavery. He owed a debt. He sold himself so he could get money now. And he was working off that debt. And then he ran from Philemon. And so... Why would Paul ever take the side of a criminal? Someone that legitimately owed someone money could be thrown in jail in our culture. Why would he take his side? Why would he step up for him? Because there's only one change in Onesimus' life. And that was his relationship with Jesus Christ. That made all the difference. Onesimus was changed, and he has this new faith. And then we find ourselves in Philemon verse 8. In case you didn't know, Philemon does not have 22 chapters. I'm not, I'm not doing chapters today. Those are verses. And so Philemon verse 8 is where we find ourselves. And Paul is written this letter because Onesimus found faith. We're not really sure if he was in prison or if Paul was in prison and he was with him. But 
does it really matter? He, he, was, he did something wrong and ran. And so Paul starts talking to Philemon. And he write, wrote this whole letter, which I think is interesting. We'll talk about that in a second. But Paul wrote this letter with his own hand, which is very important. Starting in verse 8, it says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. What is required? Yet for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that goodness not, might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. That's really hard, parents, right? Think about it. Not to just say you need to do something, but give them the option to make the decision. That's really hard. So Paul continues, for this is perhaps why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer a bondservant, but more than a bondservant as a beloved brother, especially to me, how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Wow. Paul knows something here. Paul knows he has the authority and that Philemon would listen if he told him, you need to set this man free. But he doesn't do it. He doesn't start pointing fingers. He says, I'm going to appeal to you. And appeal means that the other person gets the complete choice of decision. When you go into a courtroom and you appeal, who makes the decision? The judge. And so he's giving Philemon the position of making the decision. And so he appeals because he loves Philemon and Onesimus. And what's interesting is he says he's an old man. Why do you think he would say he's an old man? And part of it has to do with it. He's weak. He has nothing physically to give here. He's appealing out of his weakness, but the strength of Christ. When we appeal to a fellow ministry partner, our basis for that appeal, for, for someone to, to forgive a debt or something like is Jesus Christ. It has nothing to do with anything else. It's not because Paul was something special to the world. It was because of his faith. He was a prisoner because of his faith. If you look in the book of Acts, he headed all the way to his death because of his faith. So why appeal? Why would he appeal for Onesimus? There's a few things. One is Paul is the spiritual father of Onesimus. He's the one that led him to Christ. He's the one that cares about him so much because he's his spiritual father. Now, there's a lot of fathers in the room. How does a father treat a son? How does a mother treat a daughter? We love and care about what happens to them. We're willing to step in personally and do something when something's not right. And Paul's doing that on Onesimus' behalf, which is something so different in this culture because at this point, Onesimus was a runaway from a debt. He's saying to Philemon, <laughs> I think this is kind of funny, hey, my prison buddy, he's now found in Jesus, and you need to forgive him. And he's not telling him he, to forgive him. He's saying, you, you need to make this choice. He's one of us. He's one that follows Jesus. And Onesimus' name, 
I don't know if you caught this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go back to the verse. This is, this is so amazing. So Paul in verse 11, look, look at verse 11 with me for a second. When he says, formerly he was useless to you because he ran, now he's indeed useful to you and me. Guess what Onesimus' name means? Paul's, Paul's trying to do a joke here. He's got a pun. His name means useful. So Onesimus is actually fulfilling his name now. God named him. His name was from his father, which God knew his name would be Onesimus. He's useful. He's finally useful to us. And Paul has set out to right a wrong. Any of you ever have a moment in your life where there's something in the back of your head and you know something's wrong and you know you need to right it, but maybe you don't listen to the Holy Spirit? Well, Paul's listening to the Holy Spirit here when he goes out to right a wrong. He's sending Onesimus back to his owner, you might say. And and, and I want you to understand, because the Bible has the word slavery in it, and we think of slavery in a certain way in the United States, and really, slavery in the first century was something a little bit different. Um, How many of you have a mortgage? Okay, you're all slaves. Um, Just a second, (laughs) let me explain. The reality is, in the first century, when you owed a debt, you were in slavery to that person until that debt was paid off, and that person decided when that debt was paid off. And so Onesimus sold himself into slavery, maybe to pay for something for his family, for his kids, who knows? He sold himself into slavery until the debt was paid off, and he still owed the debt when he ran. He ran away from the debt. He let the house foreclose. He left. And so Onesimus was coming back to a person that he owed a debt to. Can you imagine being him? That's kind of scary. But it also shows that his life has changed. No one in their right mind would have run away from a situation where you could be in prison and then run back to the place where the guy wants to put you in jail. That just doesn't make any sense. You don't see fugitives run for you know, months or years and then just all of a sudden turn themselves in unless something changed. Something had to change. And so he was running from this debt. Paul was writing a wrong. And it comes to like something that we can understand as a church. Ministry partners are willing to take the steps to right a wrong. We're going to right wrongs. We're going to make things right. Even if we were the one that caused the wrong to happen, we're going to do something different. And we're going to stand up for each other. You know, if Paul was on the playground with me as a kid, he probably would have stood up for me when I was getting bullied or picked on. He probably would have picked me earlier in the line of kids to play the game. That's who Paul is. And that's who all of us should be when we're focused on Jesus. And Paul makes a point here in verse 13 and 14 that he has, he's doing something that we rarely do anymore. We rarely do it as parents. We rarely do it in our marriages. We rarely do it in, our, in the church. We rarely do it as family. He's doing something different. He goes, even though I have the power and ability to force Philemon to do what's right, I want Philemon to consent to what is right and what is true. He needs to make the decision. I cannot make the decision for him. Isn't that the, the quandary and dilemma when you have an 18-year-old teenager that's moving out of the house? And I have never talked to a parent that, is, that has made that transition and been like, oh, this was a piece of cake. 
Paul here is doing something that we rarely want to do. We shouldn't be in a situation where we're demanding, and Paul is saying, hey, I'm going to give you a choice. He's giving Philemon the choice rather than just keeping Onesimus with him. He said, Onesimus is useful to me. He's going to be useful to you. He really could use him, but he needs permission to be with Paul. So he sends Onesimus back. That's pretty scary. Can you imagine being Onesimus in the situation? Paul's like, well, you're brother in Christ. You need to go back. And Onesimus, as a sign of a changed life, says, yes, I'm going to go back. I'm going to, I'm going to go back to the person that could throw me in prison. And then Paul says, or Paul, instead of saying, can he stay with me, he just sends him back, okay? He sends him back. He gives Philemon the choice. And then he says something that I think is really important. Don't forget this. Because last week I had you think in your head of someone that's too far from Jesus, Okay? Onesimus is that too far from Jesus guy. We see another too far from Jesus person. Paul says, Onesimus was gone for a while. He ran from the debt, but he's going to be with you forever now. Think of that person that you don't want to forgive, that you don't want to, that you don't want to move on from. But if they came here, they come into church, imagine the person that you were thinking of last week walking up here, standing up here, getting prayed over, and saying, I really want to follow Christ and getting baptized. Imagine that, because that's what God does. That's what changed life can happen. Onesimus has changed from someone owing a debt, someone in slavery, to someone who is a brother in Jesus Christ. There's a huge difference there. The partnership has changed from around a debt to someone that's part of the family of God. Paul makes it clear again. Verse 15, that Onesimus ran from a debt in sin that Jesus Christ, God used to save him. Sometimes the thing that we run far away from God, God uses for his glory. Maybe some of you are feeling like that. I don't know what's going on. In everyone's life, I can't, I can't read everyone's mind, but he's, he's gone from being a thief to forever a brother. And many of us, if, you have faith, if you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's probably what you felt on one day. You just all of a sudden realized, connected the fact that you were a thief, you were a prisoner to your sin, and then the next day, you realized that Jesus Christ can overcome all that in your life. And so Paul makes it clear, very clear. Ministry partners make personal sacrifices for the gospel. Paul's about to, right after this, Paul puts his reputation on the line for this, pardon the term, but slave. He sold himself into slavery because he has, he has no money. He's the poorest of the poor, and he ran. He got out of Dodge. He puts himself on the line. And the reason this works, the reason this makes sense, is because ministry partners are united by Jesus Christ. Let's look around in this room. Start looking around. There's people that don't look like you, that don't act like you, but yet we're all united around one major thing. 
And that's Jesus Christ. The church is a family of ministry partners seeking to serve the kingdom of Jesus together. Onesimus went from the guy at the back of the line that, 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 that Philemon's going, this guy ran from me, he's indebted to me, he owes me thousands of dollars to the guy at the front of the line that is forgiven. And Paul's asking Philemon to do what Jesus did for him. That's part of what ministry partners do. He's asking him to forgive a debt. And we have this debt of sin that Jesus has forgiven us. And Philemon's over here saying, or uh, Paul's over here saying, Philemon, he's changed. Forgive his debt because he's useful to Jesus Christ and I need him. It's so different. He's willing to put his reputation on the line for a runaway. Someone running from a debt, a debt that they clearly owe. Paul goes even further to appeal for the partnership between Philemon and Onesimus. He's asking Philemon to see Onesimus in a different light. Not a bondservant, but a partner. That's what Paul says next. We, we can't forget and, I, and I'll tell you this, if partnerships are not founded in Jesus Christ, they're going to fail. It's simple as that. If, if some of you are coming here because the person that's up on stage on Sunday mornings, it's going to fail. Because eventually, that person won't be here. But if it's founded on Jesus Christ... You're always going to meet together as the church. You're always going to gather together as the church because the foundation is eternal. It's not something that we just see right in front of us. I mean, it's so easy to just see what's right in front of you and be devastated. I've learned this with my kids. I have to say this now. It, my kids, so five, three, and 17 months, my five-year-old daughter, when I say no, maybe later, it means no, never to her. You ever notice that with little kids? And so... Here's the thing with God. Sometimes he says, wait, and we hear never. And with Paul here, he's saying, Philemon, Onesimus is coming back. Something's changed. He's your forever brother, and it's not a never anymore. It's not a never. Onesimus is never going to come to Christ. He's never going to do this. He's never going to repay the debt. Well, actually, Paul, we're going to see, puts his, his reputation on the line and says, I'm going to pay the debt for him. Because the debt's going to be paid at some point. Read, you can follow along with me. Verses 17 through 19. I think of this as almost like the theme of the entire book of Philemon. It says, so if you consider me your partner, Paul's saying this, and you receive him as you would receive me, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand, and I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me, even your, your own self. Yes, brother, I want to benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. This is the deepest appeal that you can have in the kingdom of Jesus. If you think of me as a partner, consider Onesimus 1-2. And I'm sure Paul had a ton of confidence about this because it's Paul. Everyone had heard of Paul at this point in this, you know, in this area. And Philemon is probably someone he had interactions with, we can see from later in the book of Philemon. 
if you think of me as a partner, consider Onesimus 1-2. This parallels what Jesus has done with us and our relationship with God. Jesus died, his blood, the sacrifice stood in our, set, our stead, and now he's advocating to the Father on our behalf. Paul continues this by saying, if Onesimus has wronged you or owes you, charge it to my account. I will pay the price. I will take on his debt. Do we know someone else that took on our debt? Jesus did. That's what it means to be a ministry partner. Don't you realize when it says, take up your cross and follow me, it's we make personal sacrifices for others. We don't, we don't stop at what we want to give or want to do or want to be. We go to God first, and we follow Jesus. Being a partner in ministry is about freedom. Paul's trying to free up Onesimus to serve Jesus. He probably could serve Jesus by being in debt still. There's no problem with that. But he's saying, hey, I need him here, and you need to free him for him to be with me. He needs to be free. And so I want you to understand this morning, ministry partners are bonded by serving together. You serve together, and that's when you're bonded together. Onesimus obviously served with Paul. He said he was his father. He served with Paul. And so the question is, are you serving with others in the church? And let me, let me just start first by saying, not just here at sunlight on Sunday mornings or during the week. I'm saying in the community, are you taking a friend with you and serving at Turning Point? Are you taking a friend with you and going to an elementary room classroom and reading with kids? Are you taking someone with you to go volunteer or are you doing it on your own? Are you taking someone that maybe never even thought of volunteering with you for the sake of Jesus Christ? It's not just about Sunday mornings. It's about what we're doing out in the community. Paul, even enslaved, was leading people to Christ. Paul was in prison. He was in handcuffs. He was chained. And yet still, everyone that he came in contact with, the words out of his mouth led them closer to Jesus. Are we serving Jesus by sharing the gospel? And I want to, I so if you're not familiar with the term gospel, it just means good news. The good news of Jesus Christ, what he's done for us. We want to see God move through us, not just on Sunday mornings, but every day. Every day of the week. I used to work a job that I would walk in the door and I knew immediately what the day was going to be like. And when I walked in the door, I would say most days were bad days. <laughs> so when I was working in social work, you walk in the door, and you know it's going to be a bad day. And within five minutes, I'm praying like, God, please help me not to get assaulted today. That's the kind of prayers I was praying sometimes. And I, I want to be honest. When we are going to share the gospel, sometimes we're going to encounter opposition, Sometimes we're going to encounter friends, family. They're going to just stiff arm us and put an arm up and say, no more. No more. But that doesn't mean we should stop doing this. Paul appeals to Philemon. He doesn't command him. He lets him make a decision. 
and we need to make, let others make decisions. So there's something else here. Paul speaks highly of, of Onesimus, very highly. He calls him useful instead of useless. He thought it was funny. I'm sure Paul was writing this thinking that it would be in the New Testament, right? No, he's writing it going, hey, uh, you're useful now, because <laughs> he's not useless. That's his name. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, I just read this. So he's thinking highly of him. He's useful. So should we speak highly of other ministry partners? Yes. There's no, there should be no hesitation. If you consider yourself a ministry partner of Sunlight, doesn't matter how long you've been here, receive others in the church as you would receive the pastor. And some of you, like, like, I know that there's a generational thing with this, but some people look at pastors in such high esteem that there's a pedestal that they can never, you know, reach, that, that character height. And, and the reality is, Paul here is saying, hey, Onesimus might be the lowest of the low in the world's terms. He might be an indebted slave, but yet Onesimus is the same as me, Paul. That held weight. We need to look to others and respect others, speak highly of others. Because Paul is willing to stake his entire reputation on the transformational power of Jesus Christ. And we should too. We should stake our entire reputation on that. It shouldn't be people looking at us as I go to church. It should be my reputation stands on Jesus Christ. Last week we talked about something. We talked about ministry partners are part of God's family. And we can see in Philemon that ministry partners make personal sacrifices for the gospel. They're personal sacrifices. They're not something that we just, we just kind of roll into. They're intentional sacrifices. And they're in many areas. You know how many times I've wanted to defend myself to someone? And I stopped talking, which is very hard for an extrovert, okay? But the reality is, you know how many times I just wanted to say something, but I knew that all I was defending was me and it had nothing to do with Jesus? Do you see how many times Jesus was, was mocked and attacked and many times he asked a question back, which really ticks people off. You want to do that all day long? Every single one of you should try this one day at work this week. So where are those reports? I don't, or, or, I don't know. Where are those reports? Start doing that all day long. Jesus, that's what he did. He said, who do you say I am? <laughs> who do you say I am? He let people say who he was. Because it spoke for itself. So we need to make make personal sacrifices, and Paul in verse 17 and 18 makes it very clear. There's two types of sacrifices Paul is making here. One is relational, and one is financial. Onesimus wronged Philemon. There's a relational debt there. He wronged him. The word wrong, especially in the context of the New Testament, is you wrong someone. It's a relational, you break down of a relationship. This relationship is broken. And then he owed him something. It was a financial debt. And he takes all of this on, but Paul never says once, I'm going to let Onesimus take out a loan for me. I'm, he's, gonna, he's actually loaning, I, I'm giving him a loan. He says, no, it's a sacrifice. He said, I'm going to give this to you. Even further, he says, Philemon, you owe me your life. Philemon, you owe me your life. But even with that fact, even though I could call in that 
favor, I'm going to pay you this. He's going above and beyond anything that he needs to do because he's setting an example for the church. And there's something that we, we miss sometimes when we don't read carefully. When Paul says he writes this with his own hand, I want to be careful to explain this because in that time period, a lot of times someone would stand there and another person would write the letter because, you know, your hand cramps, I guess. I don't know. They would just have someone that would write the letter for them. Paul wrote this letter to Philemon. It was so personal to him and this personal sacrifice he was making that he wrote the letter. He hand wrote this letter and sent it off to Philemon in his own hand. His willingness to sacrifice for Philemon was personal. You know why people get so hurt by the church? Because the church isn't a business. It is personal. You know why pastors, you, you, you go through pastors quickly? Because the scars from realizing that the church is personal, this is a spiritual environment, this is on a whole nother level. This has nothing to do with, with the day-to-day business that many people are in in this world. This is serious business. It's personal. When someone owes you in the church, it's personal. You know, I found out recently the number one reason people leave a church that they've attended for a long period of time is because of relational conflict with only one other person in that church. They've done studies on this, and I thought it was interesting. I was like, what? It's our unwillingness to go to someone else or to forgive someone else. And I'm not surprised, I can say, because it is personal. It hurts. But Onesimus owed Philemon, but he'd become a brother in Christ. And Onesimus and Paul served together. They were bonded. He called him a son. He was the father of Onesimus. Jesus Christ was the focus in their time together. So we cannot forget that ministry partners are bonded by serving together. You think, I mean, Paul probably could appeal for many other people, but he chose Onesimus because he knew that he owed him a debt. He owed Philemon a debt because he was bonded to by serving together. Let us not forget that. We can't forget that this morning. And if you can follow along with me, verse 20 through 22, because Paul goes even further. Yes, brother, I already read this, but I want to read it again. It's here. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that even more you, you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me, for I'm hoping that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Paul is so confident here because the culture of the church in the first century, someone was praying for Paul. He was confident of that. that He was confident that if God so willed it, he would end up back with the church. We know from Acts that he didn't. Because he was willing to go where no one would go to Rome. We can appeal to brothers and sisters in Christ for refreshment. Please, when you walk out of here, like I said, and you walk into your work environment, you know it's going to be a bad day. You can leave your job, come home, leave school, whatever it is, come home, and appeal to others, just refresh my mind. Refresh what Jesus has done for me. Because I just got beaten up all day long. Refresh me. Refresh me 
but I, I, just, I just need help. Paul's asking for personal sacrifices from Philemon. Paul's willing to do it, but then he's asking. He said he could command. He said, in the name of Jesus, I can do this, but I'm not. He's so confident in the power of Jesus to change lives, he thinks that Philemon will go above and beyond what he said. You know, the biggest blessing to me as a pastor is when we go to do something, we set out to do it, we have plans, and then when the plans come to fruition and we finish those plans, someone goes above and beyond without even being told. Have you ever had a parenting moment like that? Or in your marriage where your spouse does something and they go so above and beyond, you're like, whew, that's amazing. That's so refreshing. That's what we need to be, church. I mean, my daughter's five, and she really hasn't cleaned a room well ever, right? Yeah, okay. But man, if I told her to clean a room and it was all clean, you know how like, awesome that is? Maybe she even vacuumed. That'd be a miracle. I mean, that's exciting. Paul's saying, I'm confident that you're going to do that. That's what the church is all about, going above and beyond when someone, when he, he does something right after that that we forget about. And, and as we were preparing, we're like, why did we leave this last verse in here? Well, I have a reason. Verse 22, something we forget about. If I come to you, can I have a place to stay? Do you have a guest room for me? I'm thinking like dirt floors, you know, like the, the rock walls, like whatever the building was, like they don't have a lot of space. Can, can I have a place to stay? Can you feed me? If you're a ministry partner, it means you're generous with what God's given you. Simple as that. You, if you have space, you're willing to give it away. Something I learned years ago because I, I used to drive a 95 white Ford Taurus when I was a late teenager, early college. And my 95 white Ford Taurus had one door, you know, the plastic thing on the door, that came off, right? It would just come off randomly. You'd pull the door open and off. The, the window didn't work. It had power windows, but the power windows didn't work. And I was a poor college student, and so I never fixed it, including one time where a cop asked me to roll it down and almost pulled a gun on me because he thought I was trying to get him. So anyways, it was a bad thing. I should have fixed the window. Learned that lesson once. And I was transporting a guy that had recently immigrated to the United States from South America. And I was helping him. He was someone I befriended in college, and I went to drive him to church. And we were having this church plant. It was at a church plant and drove him to church. And before he got out of the car, he said to me, you are so blessed to have a car. You are so blessed to have a car. This is an amazing car. He just talk, started talking. About, I'm like, well, the door's falling off. The window's not working. In my mind, I'm thinking of all the bad things that happen in this car. The transmission sometimes slips. Like, what, what else is wrong with this car? And he goes, you don't even know. And he shows me a picture. He had a cell phone, which the cell phone looked like it was from the 80s. So it wasn't that big, but, you know, it was, it was big. He had, a, like, a small picture on it. And he showed me this picture. And basically, like, what he drove was, like, a motorbike when he was back where he was from. And he's like, you can fit more people in here. I'm like, yeah, I can fit people in the trunk. I thought he was joking. 
So I was like, well, there's more. I can fit seven people in here if I fill up the trunk, you know, like whatever. And so I sit here and I go, I thought I had nothing to give. I thought I had a piece of junk car, which it was kind of a piece of junk for American standards. But I thought it was, I thought it was a car that really no one would have wanted. And then I sit there in the car and I realize that I wasn't thinking like Paul here is in the passage. I was thinking, I was thinking well, I only have this. This is all I've got to give. Philemon here could get his debt back, right, from Onesimus, but also could give it. He's not losing anything by not having Onesimus pay him back. Do you know that? He's not really losing anything. He's just not gaining anything for himself. And sometimes we need it, like, like the moment I drove that guy in the car, some of us need a moment where we realize what God has actually given us and that opportunity to help people, help other people. So have you let other people stay with you? I mean, if we're going to apply the text here, Philemon is standing there and he's writing this whole letter and Paul gets to the end and he's like, well, if I'm released from prison, have you ever had one of those letters? Some of you may have had a letter where, if I'm released from prison, do you have a place for me to stay? That's what Paul's doing here because he's so confident. Have you let people stay with you? Have you let people stay with you? And, and, and I know some of us like our own space. This last fall, we talked about hospitality. Hospitality is, is literally opening up your home to a stranger. Paul's talking here about a ministry partner, letting them stay with you. It's clearly a principle that applies to everybody if there's a need. People talk about something, and I, I think this is, this is what I needed to realize when I was sitting in that car. People talk about their blood family. And that guy sitting in the car next to me, he doesn't know it. I'll probably never see him again. I have no idea where he is. He's my blood family because he was a believer in Jesus Christ. We talk about, well, that's, that's my family. The church is your family. When you are in Jesus Christ, the church is your family. The church is the place that you need to go sometimes. The church is where you need to make personal sacrifices. Because you make personal sacrifices for everyone has made a personal sacrifice for their family. Everyone has. Whether it's the job you took to provide for your family, whether it's the countless hours you spent with your kids, whether it's, whether it's the things that you did once you got a driver's license and you decided, I'm going to take every errand for my parents. Everyone has made personal sacrifices for their family. It's the same thing for the church because now you have a larger family through the blood of Jesus Christ. So when I say that's my blood family, you know, that's like I'm actually related to them. It's not by marriage. It's by blood. I'm talking about the church of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul was doing here because partners open up their homes. They pray for each other. They forgive debts on behalf of others. Some of you may have had someone pay a bill that you needed to have paid. That's what the church does. When you don't have anything left, that's why we're here. Paul was willing to make personal sacrifices for the sake of Jesus Christ, and we should too. It shouldn't be about anything else. It should be about Jesus Christ. So if you leave with anything today, 
anything. Remember, ministry partners make personal sacrifices for the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ, because there's nothing that is more worthy of making a sacrifice for. Simple as that. There's nothing that matters more than that. And maybe you're sitting here and like, well, it doesn't matter too much to me right now. Maybe you need to make a decision to step in, to realize what you have, and to realize that, that partnering with Jesus Christ and partnering with the church has a lot more upside than downside. Jesus, being the central focus of that, the, the you know, you want to list the names of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, what, 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 what do you want? There's nothing greater than that. So I, got, I have two questions to leave you with, and I want you to answer these in the car on the way home. So maybe sometime this week. Maybe they won't even click for you right now. Two questions. How can you, one is more practical, how can you prepare your home to be open for other ministry partners? As a kid, we had missionaries come to our house that stayed with us. We had um, exchange students. We had, I mean, our house was an open door. My house was always a mess. And when I say that, I mean, it was my fault. So don't look at my parents, but it was definitely my fault. It was always a mess. But it didn't matter because it was all we had. I didn't grow up with big houses and big things. And, and, and we just gave everything we had. So we prepared our home to be open for other partners, for people that were partnering with us in ministry. Come over whenever you want. Second thing. What personal sacrifices for others do you need to make to be like Paul? In an extension of that, be like Jesus. Paul's example was Jesus here. He was forgiving a debt. He was, he was being, being that relational bridge to mend a relationship because of Jesus Christ, because he was trying to be like Jesus. So what personal sacrifices for others do you need to make to be like Paul, to be like Jesus? And as we continue our worship this morning, maybe today's a time where you need to get some time with the Lord. Just, just sit there. You don't have to sing. You can just sit there. Spend time with God. Because I can tell you there's nothing, there's no time better than now to make that change in your life. To realize that there's a huge difference between doing something that's manageable and making an actual sacrifice. Sometimes we need to feel like the only, the only answer is God. If you haven't felt that lately, maybe God's asking you to make a, a different sacrifice for someone else. Stand in someone's way. From, it, it, stop them from, from going the wrong direction. Or maybe it's like, Paul, someone's changed in your life and you need to step up for them. Maybe you need to say, that person's not like that, I'm not gonna gossip. How about you go to them first? Whatever it is. Because that's what Paul was all about. He was righting wrongs. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
we come before you and, and we know that even, even the example of Paul is paling in comparison to the example of Jesus Christ. And we see in, in Philippians chapter 2 that he was obedient to the death on a cross for us. Paul here stepped in to help a brother in Jesus Christ. And, and he would do the same for any of us if he was here today. Let us be a church filled with Paul's. Ones that would be willing to make a personal sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. This is good news. Because we're not alone. God is here with us. We want to be moved by him to reach people with the gospel to care for needs in our community, to reach people that no one else is reaching. Because that's what Jesus would do. Help us to be more like Jesus. Help your Holy Spirit to teach us, to train us, to encourage us as we read the word, as we pray. Help us not to leave today without thinking, I need to pray for someone else in this room, in this place. Because we're all partnered together. We say all this in Jesus' name. Amen.